From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lorman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. And it's been about a decade, but spending earmarks may finally be making a return to Washington next year. House Democrats, who will still control the House next year, seem very eager to revive the practice of earmarking uh, projects in spending bills. Uh, Jen, what's brought this on now and, and how much of this might we be seeing? So the conversation about bringing back earmarks in some form has been going on for essentially a decade now since House Republicans originally banned them in 2011 and then Senate Democrats followed suit a couple months later and instituted a ban in that chamber as well. Ever since then, appropriators, both Democrats and Republicans, and some key members of congressional leadership have been sort of talking behind the scenes um, and talking to reporters about their interest in ending that ban on earmarks. And one of the big sort of tracking points in all of this is that when Democrats took control of the House, in January of 2019, the ban in the House technically ended because that prohibition was only ever in House GOP rules. It was not in the official House rules package. And so at that point in time, Democrats could have started adding earmarks to spending bills and authorizing bills if they had wanted to. But congressional leaders in the House um, and House Appropriations Chairwoman Nita Lowy, a Democrat of New York, They sort of took a step back and said, we're not going to earmark right now. We're going to have conversations throughout the next year, and we're going to look at new transparency mechanisms, new guardrails, and new ways to ensure that if we bring back earmarks in the House, that we can do it in a way that's transparent, um, and that would really avoid the type of scandals that led to the earmark ban going into place um, about a decade ago. House Democrats opted not to bring back earmarks during this session of Congress. There was some concern from new Democrats and moderate Democrats that even if there were a lot of new transparency mechanisms and controls on congressionally directed spending, that just the optics of it, just you know, constituents and voters hearing House Democrats are bringing back earmarks could be a real problem uh, during the elections this year. And so the House moratorium has sort of stayed in place um, in kind of an unofficial way. But now it sounds like heading into the next session of Congress, they feel like they've had enough conversations and they understand how they want to move forward. And so it seems like it's likely that the House will return to earmarking on spending bills next year. Yeah, and you talked to House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer last week on this. Did he say there's that he's committed now to letting earmarks go forward? Leader Hoyer has been a proponent of earmarks for a very long time. He did not support the ban on earmarks. Like a lot of people, he says that that has sort of ceded Congress's constitutional authority over government spending decisions to the executive branch, and that it has really eroded some of their authority in determining how the government uh, funds projects, uh, you know, big Pentagon contracts down to, you know, smaller transportation and infrastructure projects in, um, you know, a district in the middle of the country. And so there has been some concerns from Republicans over the years as well, particularly Republican appropriators, that 
banning earmarks has really just shifted how earmarking takes place from the legislative branch, which constitutionally has control over government spending, to the executive branch um, and people who are not elected. And so that is one of the things that we've heard from Leader Hoyer um, and proponents of earmarking throughout the years. And so it sounds like now um, he is saying that the next House Appropriations chairwoman, whoever that may be, is really going to be tasked with working with leaders in the House, and he hopes Republicans to bring back earmarking in what it will likely be a very controlled, transparent, and possibly limited way. Yeah. And we should step back a sec to say how we got to this place, because earmarks were banned under Republicans a decade ago after a lot of concern about corruption. And we had the famous case back in 2005 where a senior member of the House Appropriations Committee, Randy Cunningham of California, actually spent seven years in prison, pleaded guilty when he was charged with tax evasion and and bribery and mail fraud. Uh, And he had taken about $2.5 million worth of bribes, essentially, through the earmark process by putting money in defense bills for people who were giving him uh, bribes. And he could also steer defense contracts their way. And that's what uh, congressional leaders hoped to avoid by banning earmarks. But now Democrats are saying we can revive them with new safeguards to guard against that kind of thing, right? Yes. Well, before earmarks were banned by House Republicans in January of 2011, Democrats in the House did put in new transparency mechanisms and guardrails in 2007 and 2009. But when Republicans, led by then-Speaker John Boehner, took over the House, there were a lot of those Tea Party conservative Republicans coming in in January of 2011, and Speaker Boehner found a lot of support from them in terms of banning earmarks. Uh, Because just like you said, there have been a lot of instances in appropriations bills and authorizing bills as well um, that sort of grabbed headlines and just made earmarking look like this kind of backroom you know, classic negotiating tactic in Washington that wasn't in the best interest of government funding for projects that were merit-based, right? And so there are a lot of concerns when some of these scandals sort of came out before the earmark ban, that instead of the appropriations committees and the authorizing committees directing government resources to projects that were most in need and communities that were most in need, there were concerns that earmarks were just going to people who had amassed power um, on Capitol Hill or, or that who were needing or who were that sort of trading votes on different things. And so if the House brings back earmarking next year, it's going to be really imperative for them to show where this money is going and why it is merit-based. And also probably to make sure that it's not just more senior members of the House or Congress in general that are securing these earmarks for their districts or their states. It's going to be really important that they can show that, you know, some new members and some, you know, sophomore or junior members of the House are also being able to get Uh, congressionally directed funding to projects or issues in their regions that are actually supported by the community um, and are needed instead of, you know, being things like, you know, that classic bridge to nowhere that everyone references from an authorizing bill that was going to be a bridge in Alaska um, that wasn't really needed. Right. So it will be fascinating to see next year, Jen, 
how they do these earmarks, how transparent they are, how many members get to insert earmarks, uh, how much money we're talking about. Earmarks don't amount to that much money in the grand scheme of a, of a spending bill. Um, but all of that will play into how earmarks are perceived if they, if they, if they try to make a comeback. Yes. And with House Republicans really eyeing trying to pick up that chamber in 2022 now, following their gains in this November's election, if Democrats in the House do choose to bring back earmarks, there's going to be a lot of pressure on that process um, because you know that, you know, even if it goes well and is sort of evenly distributed to merit-based projects and there are no scandals, if Democrats bring back earmarks in the House, it's very likely that House Republicans, particularly in moderate or swing districts, are going to bring earmarks into the campaign conversation as kind of that classic, you know, irresponsible Washington boogeyman, um, and not necessarily if it's, you know, fact-based this time. So I think that's going to be another conversation that, you know, Democrats in the House and the Republicans who do support earmarking are probably going to be having in the next few weeks. Yeah, of course, earmarks can be used on the campaign trail on both sides. I mean, in support of them, you can use it to, to tout your ability to bring home the bacon and get local projects funded that local constituents may want. On the flip side, some conservatives can argue that we're, we're corrupting the process again, and this is Washington waste. Uh, so it's all in the eye of the beholder, I guess. But they may be going forward in the House, but probably not in the Senate. Is that right? The Senate is complicated to figure out right now because we don't yet know if Democrats or Republicans will be in the majority next year. It's all coming down to those two Georgia runoff races on January 5th. Um, and I think if Democrats do regain control of the Senate, you know, if they get both those Georgia seats, it's going to be a 50-50, essentially tied Senate where the vice president, which will be Kamala Harris, cast the tie-breaking vote. And so it will be a very narrow majority. So if Democrats in the House do opt to bring back earmarks and Democrats do have control of the Senate, I think there's a path forward in the Senate. If Republicans maintain control of the Senate, if they win just at least one of those Georgia runoff races, I don't think earmarking will come back right away. Because uh, last May, uh, May of 2019, Senate Republicans made their earmark ban, quote, permanent. And so I think that's something that the party is really going to try to shy away from. But that could make next year's appropriations process extremely complicated if the House brings back earmark and this earmarks in the Senate does not. Because then when you're conferencing these bills, you know, the Senate technically has an earmark ban, but the final bills they're voting on will most likely include earmarks from the House with House members being able to say, I secured X dollars for this project in my district. And senators, while they can still put out those press releases and still campaign on the funding that goes to their states, they won't directly have earmarking in that chamber. And so I think that's going to be a very kind of messy series of events, potentially. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see how they how they wrestle with that. If one chamber has them and one doesn't, that could be kind of sticky. And of course, in the House, a lot of this will depend on how the next chairwoman or chairman of the House Appropriations Committee handles this. And we've got a race next week to decide who succeeds Nita Lowy as chairwoman 
Uh, how is that race shaping up, Jen? Yes. So it will be chairwoman because the three candidates running are all women. It's Connecticut Representative Rosa DeLauro, who chairs the Labor HHS and Education Subcommittee, Ohio Representative Marcy Kaptur, who's the top Democrat on the Energy Water Panel, and Florida's Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who is the chairwoman of the Military Construction and VA Subcommittee. And so all three of these representatives have been campaigning for over a year now for the opportunity to follow Lowy as the top Democrat on the House Appropriations Committee. And because Democrats will have the majority next year, that will be for the role of chairwoman. And they decide this next week? Yes, the House will be voting the week of November 30th to determine which of those three women um, will succeed Chairwoman Lowy when she retires at the end of this Congress. And all three of them have expressed support for earmarks, right? Yes, all three support bringing back earmarks. Um, And so it sounds like that sort of bolsters what Leader Hoyer told me last week um, and that it makes it seem more likely that the House does bring back earmarks next year. But exactly how they're going to do that is going to be up to whoever becomes chairwoman. And is there anything different in their, in their style or, or operating manner uh, if, if the committee were headed by DeLauro versus Wasserman Schultz or Captor? Is there anything we should know about how things might be different under each of them? So the three candidates have released various proposals for how they would overhaul the committee and the annual spending process. They do align on a few key issues. All three, like we just said, support bringing back earmarks. All three have said that they support eliminating the Hyde Amendment, which is a federal spending prohibition on abortion services with limited exceptions for rape, incest, or the woman's life. And so that is a conversation that has been, you know, circling throughout the Democratic Party for years now and has really kind of picked up in the last year or so because there are concerns that it is a form of systemic racism um, and that it sort of exacerbates, it takes away the choices of lower income women to determine what types of health care they access. And so that is something that all three candidates have said they want to eliminate. Now, they can eliminate it from the annual Labor HHS education spending bill in the House, but if the Senate is controlled by Republicans, um, or potentially even if Democrats have that 50-50 majority, it could be really complicated to remove that in the Senate where you have you know, much more moderate members like West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin, for example, who likely won't support removing the Hyatt Amendment. You're definitely going to see Democrats in the House, more moderate members, probably opposed to removing that as well. But depending on what Democrats in the House have as their majority margin above that 218 number, uh, is going to likely determine exactly how they remove the Hyatt Amendment. They all support sort of doing a big look at how the federal government spends money every year, trying to find areas where minority communities and women have been disenfranchised by the spending process, sort of look at that and try to find ways to, you know, correct the likelihood that federal funding is, you know, not exactly balanced between all people in the country. And so those are some of their similarities. Um, they have been, you know, targeting their differences as well. 
Um, Marcy Kapter, who is the most senior member of the panel, has been discussing that as well as um, I believe she said that she served on 11 of the 12 subcommittees. So she has a lot of experience with all of the bills. Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro is chairwoman of the Labor HHS and Education Subcommittee. Uh, that is the largest non-defense discretionary spending bill. It's also the bill with a lot of you know complicated issues from a policy and political standpoint. It is the bill that includes the Hyde Amendment right now. And so one of the things that she has been saying throughout her campaign is that, you know, she has a lot of experience working with Republicans to get this complicated bill passed every year. Um, she also has a rather close relationship with retiring Chairwoman Lowy and Speaker Nancy Pelosi. When the three were coming up um, in the 90s on the Appropriations Committee um, and sort of gaining seniority in the House, they were very close friends and colleagues, and they became known as the Delosis. And so that is something that is a bit of sort of a feather in the cap of Congresswoman Deloro right now. Congresswoman Wasserman Schultz uh, is a very prolific fundraiser for Democrats and tries to help the moderate and at-risk Democrats a lot um, by helping them with hosting fundraisers and transferring money um, to their various campaign and um, PAC accounts. And so that is something that she has been sort of touting as one of the differences between her and her colleagues uh, throughout this campaign. Um, and she also um, has some support from key, they all have support from key lawmakers throughout the House. So right now it sounds like it's a relatively even race, um, but they do expect um, a lot of the campaigning to continue um, sort of up to that vote series, just because a lot of Democrats have been paying attention to their races um, up until now and are now just starting to kind of do research into the congressional, the, the contested uh, committee chair races. So we will see next week who gets the gavel and we will be watching closely for how earmarks uh, get implemented in coming months if they do. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>